Hey, Dame. Yo. Do you happen to have any idea who this episode is brought to you by? Oh, I think I have a clue. I think I do. <laughs> this episode of Ergo is brought to you by Overcast, an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls, just a great podcast app for everyone. And if you know Ergo, we love independent and we love shit not being locked down. So <laughs> so go ahead and get Overcast for free on the App Store. Up next in this special CTJC Chicago Torture Justice Center anniversary suite, we have an amazing, beautiful conversation with mothers of the movement. It is important to know that a lot of what the abolitionist thrust from Chicago was built upon was in many ways spearheaded by the black and brown women uh, who were the mothers and the loved ones of folks directly impacted and incarcerated by this violent system. So it is always an honor to hear their voice. We have the one and only Mark Clemens moderating a phenomenal conversation with some of our mothers of the movement. Hope you enjoy. Much love. Welcome each and every individual that is under the sound of my voice uh, to a presentation uh, dealing with the entire month of May uh, to reflect the anniversary of the Chicago Torture Justice Center. Uh, This has been a struggle. People would still be inside of prisons had it not been for their mothers. And many of the mothers are still fighting for justice for their loved one who has been systematically lynched by a criminal justice system that could care less. But I am honored uh, to be in the presence of all of these wonderful mothers that, you know, I have grew to respect and to love and to cherish. Even when I was in prison, the first person I ever, ever seen was Marielle. And to see her labor once I'm out, I'm still amazed. And to all of the wonderful panelists that will be joining, uh, I just want to kick it over to Alice I am going to swing it over to you. And when you get through, uh, let's play the sound uh, piece from Mr. Stanley Howard, who is incarcerated at the Dixon Correctional Facility. Alice? Thanks so much, Mark. It really is such an honor to be here with all the moms today. The moms really have been the heart and soul of our movement. As Mark said, the moms really stood by their sons, their loved ones, um, and really taught so many of us um, what it means to stand in solidarity with those who are incarcerated. Um, And I wanted to just share, because some of the moms are no longer with us today, like Mark's mom, Virginia Clemens, um, Luva Bell. Uh, Costella Cannon. Jeanette Johnson is still here with us, but isn't able to join us. Um, So I just wanted to start by remembering um, and acknowledging um, the moms who are no longer with us. And if I'm able to share screen. So these moms, 
like Mary L. Johnson and others were pioneers um, in, in this movement. And um, that's, you see, Jeanette Johnson, Luba Bell, Castella Cannon, and Vir Virginia Clemens, um, who did, who, who really taught us so much. Um, Virginia, you know, she worked, I think, three jobs and would come to meetings. She lived up on the north side of Chicago. And uh, when we had campaign to end the death penalty meetings, they were on the south side of Chicago. And um, she would make her way down to the south side um, to meet up with other moms um, and other activists um, in order to fight, um, fight for Mark. And the same goes with Costella, Luva, and Jeanette Johnson. Um, Really, they traveled the country um, talking about their sons. This is a different moment, right? They paved the way for this moment of Black Lives Matter. Um, I really believe that uh, the moms who are on this Zoom with us today and these mothers who are no longer with us paved the way for this moment. So it's just such an honor to be able to give tribute um, and get recognition and to acknowledge um, what a force, what a force um, the moms have been. I will stop share now. And I know we have a special message from Stanley Howard coming from the inside. And then we will be in conversation with the moms on our panel tonight. Hello, everyone. I'd like to send a special thank you to all the mothers out there. I remember many years ago when I first got arrested in the early 1980s, my mom was the only one that stood by me for many, many years. And then, when I was sentenced to death, she put on her superwoman vest and her cape, and she went to work. She stood by me every step of the way. When I started the death row mm -hmm. 10, I didn't think that it was going anywhere. But it was the mothers, the mothers that was involved in the movement that took the death row 10 and the torture scandal and revealed it to the world. Even today, I still believe that if it wasn't for the mothers in the movement, the backbone of the movement, I would probably still be on death row right now or probably have been executed along with a lot of other people. I want to send a special thank you for all the mothers that's out there now that still participate in the movement, that's still driving us forward. Even though my mother is incapacitated right now, she's kind of ill and elderly, she is still with us in spirit. And I'd like to thank you all once again. Happy Mother's Day, y'all. Thank you. And that was Mr. Stanley Howard, uh, who has been incarcerated for 37 years of his life. But uh, first of all, I would like to thank each and every one of these mothers for joining. I want to welcome to this broadcast, uh, Ms. Curlin Johnson. Mrs. Curlin Johnson is someone that has literally had to endure two sets of injustice wrapped around police torture in the city of Chicago. And we're going to somewhat get into a little bit as to what Curlin experienced, but I would also like to welcome Mrs. Regina 
Russell and her son, uh, who has been incarcerated for a crime that he did not commit. And I think that you will just be, man, hurt to the fact that there are so many people that have been mistreated by the criminal justice system as a whole. And these people keep getting away with it. And it really, it makes me sick and tired uh, to just face that realization. My third uh, introductory is Mrs. Rosemary Cage. Rosemary is someone that is very quiet, but I grew to learn from Rosemary what happened to her son. And I think that it needs to be a lot of attention put around these cases of wrongful convictions with her son being, I call them poster boys. But I want everyone on the panel to know that I love you. And I'm going to pass it over to Mrs. Alice Kim. So I have the pleasure of introducing Armanda Shackelford. And to introduce Armanda, I actually wanted to read um, just a really short excerpt um, from a piece that her son, Gerald Reed, wrote. And this was back in 2015 when um, Gerald was incarcerated at Stateville and I was teaching a class on uh, freedom dreams in an age of mass incarceration um, at the time. And uh, this is what Gerald wrote um, to Armanda. It's called Letter to the First Lady. The first lady that I ever set eyes on is my beloved mother, the one who carried me for nine months in her small body and has held me my whole life, Miss Armanda Shackelford. She's only five feet, two inches in stature with a voice like a six foot giant. We all know that voice, right? Um, she walks the earth, challenging injustice at every level. I've watched her battle the bullies of corruption in Chicago's judicial system. The first lady stood up against the torture commission machine, the political monster of the Windy City. She tangles with the people who set the law of the land and wins them over. So that's just one small um, excerpt of, of a piece that, that Gerald wrote when um, he was still incarcerated. And we had the amazing, the amazing victory of Gerald coming home um, last month. And I really do think it's a tribute to all of the mothers, oh, right. especially um, Armanda Shackleford, that Gerald is home uh, with us today. Um, so I wanted to share that. And many of you have, you have been to the Chicago Torture Justice Center and um, a quilt that uh, Mama Dorothy Burge made uh, in response to Gerald's letter. It was featured in an art exhibition, is now hanging in the Chicago um, Torture, Torture Justice um, Center. So that is our tribute to you, Armanda. We love you so much. And then Ms. Marielle Johnson, Ms. Marielle Johnson, I have the pleasure of introducing Mama Marielle. I mean, Marielle has, I feel like I've known Marielle Johnson for forever. She was one, she was uh, the first of the Burge torture um, justice survivors, um, the per Burge torture survivors, 
mothers to file a complaint um, against John Burge um, early, early on at the beginning of John Burge's um, career. And then later, she and her son, Michael Johnson, would continue to be harassed um, by John Burge and other detectives under his command. And she has really stood so strong <laughs> and tall and uh, with, with all of us. Um, you know, she, her son was not actually um, sentenced to death row, um, but I got to know her. I got to know Marielle because she was visiting all the guys on the row, right? And she was telling us so much about them. She was helping to be the connective uh, tissue, the connection between the guys on the inside um, and the activists um, on, on the outside. And Marielle has been around since the very early, the very beginning fights, right? People may know The End of the Nightstick. That's a documentary um, about the struggles, the early struggles to get John Burge fired. And you see Marielle out there protesting um, right from the start. Um, so we're so happy um, that you're here with us today and that we're able to continue learning from you um, today just as much as we did um, back then. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to jump right into your endurance and, you know, your struggle. Describe just a little bit about your fight to seek justice for your son. Yes. Uh, well, I'm Carolyn Johnson, and thank you guys for inviting me. And uh, I'm very happy to be here. And happy Mother's Day to all you brave, courageous women and mothers. When I first started off with Marcus, I was a nervous wreck. I was torn apart. And um, Marcus wrote me a letter and saying that he had got a letter from uh, Bertha Escamilla and talking about for me to join the group uh, where the mothers of tortured victims. And I was afraid because it was police officers and it took me a while and I wouldn't go. So Marcus wrote me again and said, well, he talked to me. He said, mom, uh, please go get involved. And he said, and go find the biggest um, picture of the Ten Commandments and learn it. And then go learn and meet the mothers whose sons was tortured before me. And um, I finally did that. And then I finally went to one of the um, mothers, you know, the uh, gatherings and the meetings that they had. And I sat there for about a good month before I even said anything because I was still scared and afraid and was shaken up from it because I couldn't believe what had happened and that how so many people that didn't happen to before and then it knocked on my door. I wouldn't I wouldn't dare believe or wouldn't have knew nothing about what was going on until it happened to Marcus. And so uh, I got there and I went and I finally started speaking. I couldn't talk. I only thing I would get to. The only part I would get to get out was Marcus Wiggins, 13 years old, tortured, and he was my son, and I was Carolyn Johnson. And then as soon as I got ready to beat the, say the other part, I just started crying and tearing up when everybody couldn't even, people couldn't even understand what I was saying. This situation has really torn my family and my kids. You know, I have three, Marcus, Talitha, and Evans, and it tore us apart, and I couldn't believe what had happened. And so after I got involved and started doing that in red and uh, the, learned the Ten Commandments, and then I went and got saved. Um, 
I wouldn't go get saved at first. I didn't know anything about God until this happened to Mark. Because I guess that's the part where you say you would, I was hit rock bottom. And I was afraid. I used to break my neck, turning my neck every time I saw a police or a detective car. I thought it was O'Brien or Burge. And um, I even sat in the courtroom one day at a Burge hearing. And uh, I sat with all the mothers on one side and uh, Flynn and Jonathan Jackson, Daryl Cannon and Anthony was on one side. And Bertha kept pointing at me one time and I just, and she kept pointing, I didn't look, but then I heard a voice. And when I looked back, I saw John Burge standing over me and I just screamed to the top of my lungs because I had been having nightmares about him and O'Brien and Brudro. And I was just having nightmares about him. And then for that man to be standing over me after all the stuff that he had done to other people's first and then my son. And then he was still able to walk around like he was walking around free, not charged with anything with all the evidence they had. And then learning that he did a, a, a Harold Hill and a Dan, a, a Dan Young when one of them was in prison and, and they accused him for something that he did. And this man was in prison. So I started thinking to myself that after I watched a picture with Steven Seagal on it was above the law. And when I saw how these detectives was able to get away for so long after it started with Anthony Holmes and then down to Marcus, it, it just blew me away. And I was just scared. I was disappointed. I was let down by the police department and learning that our aldermans did have to go through them you know, to see how many settlements them went through. And it seemed to me because I didn't know anything. And I, I didn't know, I didn't know anything. I didn't know who God was. I didn't know nothing. So I just felt cheated and, and, and disappointed. And I just felt our kids and us, we had been sold out because, and it was a conspiracy because here we are fighting for our kids and we've been fighting all these years and nothing happened to these officers that's supposed to serve and protect us. Hold up, right there. Stay right there, okay? And I know where I stop you at, fighting for these kids. I want to move on next to Amanda Shackleford. And I want to ask Amanda, you know, going through all these ups and downs and dealing with Gerald's situation to be freed from prison, what was you thinking? What gave you the strength to keep fighting? First, I want to say good evening, everybody. And thank you all for letting me join in with you all today. This is a blessing to me. It, it has been a struggle. Lord knows it has. Every time I went to court, I went through thinking that Maybe today is the day that they would make a decision to close this case. Let this man go home. But then it would always be just the same. It would be another continuance. But at the same time, I made up in my mind with the help of God that I wasn't going to give up. Because if I give up, who won? And they don't want enough. Keeping our sons away from us. Uh, Bertha is the one who mentioned 
the word kidnap. But only thing about the kidnap kidnapping that was done to our sons, we know where they are. The only thing that they have is injustice. They don't have no proof. And they can you can always tell a person that was tortured by the police, those are the ones who no evidence was found against them at all. And that would hurt so bad to know that you are keeping our sons, not just Gerald, because Gerald wasn't in there alone. There were men that was locked up before Gerald even got there. And I wasn't any fighting that I was out there doing. It was for all of them. Gerald is home, but I'm not satisfied. I'm not pleased. I'm very disgusted with the system the way it is. The system is so broken that a prosecutor can say that this man is guilty, but we want you to take a plea deal. Now, you say I'm guilty, but why is it that you want me to take a plea deal for you? The plea deal would not be beneficial to me. It would only satisfy you. And it would hurt so bad to know that the prosecutor and the judge, now the former judge overturned Gerald's conviction because he went through the papers. He listened to the surgeon that did Gerald's surgery and he was able to prove that Gerald's leg was broke twice. He showed us on the tape that he brought with us, the first time of the breakage and the second time of the breakage. But after this judge, Judge Gaynor, rendered his decision on the 21st of December, 2018, he stated that what he had seen what he had read, this man's conviction was overturned. And the only thing that the prosecutor could do is ask for a new trial. But at the end of December, Judge Dana retired. And the case was turned over to Judge Henley. Henley was a horrible judge. I wouldn't want nobody to go before that man. He's prejudiced, and he has shown in that courtroom just how prejudiced he is. Now, when he Amanda, got, oh, Amanda, oh, I'm sorry. I'm I sorry. Stop you right there. I know where I left. I already know where I left curling at. Now, I want to bring into this conversation Mary 
Mariel and basically asked Mariel the same question. What gave her the strength? And man, I have been watching Mariel (laughs) for many, many years. What has given her the strength to keep fighting for her son? Welcome, Mary. You're on mute, Mary. I don't know nothing about all this. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, When I was growing up as a child, whenever you saw me fighting, I was really fighting back. I never picked a fight. But I always fought back. And that's what happened. I had no idea what I was going into. I didn't join in to fight. Because I assumed justice system was just what it said, justice for all. Thinking that I was American, you know, we didn't have the television. They didn't show us things like Rodney King. So I didn't prepare my children for brutality because I didn't know about that. I had never been to jail and I didn't know anybody in my family that had been. If they went to jail, they never told us about it. But when I got out there and complained about the police, I thought they would give me an award for telling them what the police had did to my son. Instead of that, I set him up to be targeted. When I went down to 11th Street and filed that complaint, I thought I was going for help. I had no idea that the police could beat you and do any harm to you and you hadn't did anything wrong. It was accepted in my mind that if you bad, the police will get you. But good people, I thought they were safe. So when I started standing up against the police, I got out there and was too scared to go back in. I didn't go out because I was brave. I was too afraid to stop fighting. My son asked me, he said, Mama, leave the police alone because they're going to get you if you don't shut up. I couldn't talk about my situation because every time I talk about my son, I would start crying. It was too emotional for me. So I just had to pray to God, how can I go about this battle? And Seth Donnelly convinced me to go on death row and visit those guys. And that was a a chore for me. I, I sure didn't know nobody that they said had killed anybody. But when I went on death row, I saw men who had given up. Some of them had told their family members, don't visit. It was too painful to be unaware, to be aware that it was like nothing you could do. They would just go through the steps. They had all had attorneys, but eventually you would be executed if you were sentenced to death. And when I started talking to those young people on death row, They told things that were so similar to what happened to me. If it had not happened to me like that, I wouldn't have thought that nobody would do nothing like they was telling me. They say I signed the confession because they said they was going to go and get my mother. They was going to mess with my wife and my children. So I just signed. Now, I wouldn't have believed the police would do nothing like that if it hadn't happened to me. So I went out and started going into universities, to churches, schools, and talking about these situations. I started going, picking up the mothers and the family members to bring them out to visit their children, to tell them how important it was for them to talk about what was happening. 
because I say all these people in here, all of my, my children, they belong to somebody. But people were afraid to talk about it. And the ones who weren't afraid, they would show a shame for their neighbors to know that their children were in jail. They tried to keep it a secret. I got with the, the campaign against the death penalty. I joined them. I would go down to the group called News and Letters. I joined them. I'd go to the group called the Militants. I'd go to all the groups. Prison Action Committee, I was with Jim Chapman on that group. I tried to get them to go to death row. They said, well, mine is not on death row. I said, but if we all just start fighting, we can get something. We got to fight for all of these people. And when we bring our problems and put them together, that's how we form groups. So I end up talking to keep from crying. And when I knew anything, those guys on death row was getting people to do things for them. And the group went in there and formed the death row 10. So I was very popular. I got so many pieces of material, different universities I was invited to. I was going out in Evanston. I went to Skokie and I used to bring my Caucasian friends with me. I said, now look, if this crowd start booing me, y'all jump up and start <laughs> protecting me because I'm going out here talking to all white people. I said, we need everybody in this valley. So I still haven't got my son out. <laughs> and I found out something in this journey. I say, I thought for a while God was picking on me. But he wasn't picking on me. He picked me. He said, I know if I get yours, you're going to fight. And if you fight for yours, you'll see the need to fight for the others. So I say, we all God's children. We all God's children. Don't just get yours. Come and get mine too. And if people would understand, I guess I'm more sensitive to that because I am a child that grew up without my mother. I don't have any sisters or brothers. I'm an only child. So people are important to me. What you do to the least of us, eventually it will move over to the rest of us. So I just keep on fighting. That's all I can say. Rosemary Cage. Oh my gosh. I remember around the time when I had met Rosemary and Rosemary was standing outside of the criminal court building. And I began to learn about her son, uh, Antonio Porter. And then I started to read a little bit about his situation. And I really thought approximately two or three years ago, that he would really receive some relief. But when I found out who the judge was, I said, uh-oh, he's in front of a tough judge. Rosemary, what gives you the endurance to keep fighting in the face of racism? You know what gave me the, the, the strength to keep fighting, Mark, with all the health issues that I have going in my body? My son is innocent. And I want to see him come home before, you know, anything happens. And 
with that judge that what he did to my son that really hurted me that day. I, I broke down in tears when I got in the car because I, I felt that he didn't read none of my son's, uh, uh, you know, his he uh, hearing case. He didn't, I don't think he read anything because he kept continuing the case. Except saying, I'm almost done reading. Then he'll come back and say, well, I didn't get a chance to read it. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And when you told me about that judge and Denise told me, Spencer told me about him, that that's who her son had. And he denied everything that her, that she went through with her son. And racism is it's not only in white, it's in all color. If we don't stick together, black and brown people, and go out and do what we can do for our kids, our sons and daughters, to get them out of prison, uh, the justice system, the justice system is really, it's, it's weighing to one side. It's not equal. And I just want justice for my son. And I want to see him come home, you know, as a lot of these guys getting out in it. I wanted that day what Amanda had. I want that so bad for my son as well. So I'm just still praying and still going on it. Tomorrow I got to leave to go to Milwaukee to get on the list for a kidney. You know, my kidney is only working 15%. So just praying and hoping that everything go well for me and that I would get a kidney donated to me. So I, you know, be here for my son and keep fighting for him. Yeah. So that's pretty much. Well, if I can give you a kidney, I'll give you, I'll give you my kidney. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, my blood type is O, and it's very difficult to find and to get. But I have a better chance in Milwaukee than I do here in Chicago. Yes. And we will be praying for you, Rosemary. Man, I've felt so much tragedy since being released and so much hurt since being released. I feel like... I was released to go to people's funerals, believe it or not. And that's I how believe I, you. I believe it. Yes. Uh, and to my sister, soul sister, Miss Regina, and I started to learn of Regina's son also approximately three years ago. And to watch her struggles with a judge to deny her son relief. You know, this stuff is, is heartfelt. And it's no other way. It's heartfelt. But Regina, what gives you the strength to carry on? And I know you've been sick and you've been still pumping out as much power and energy and love as you can. What gives you the strength to carry on for your son, uh, Regina? That's really, really, um, it's very hurtful. Listening to all the other ladies, um, happy Mother's Day, ladies. Um, thank you, Mark and the Justice Centers for um, inviting me. Um, I've, I've, I was in, a, in silence for like 17 years about my son. My family members knew a few friends, but I, um, I held it in silence. Um, I heard Amanda Shackelford speak one day and 
a light bulb just went off in me because she was telling my story, which is her story. Um, so after that, I got to um, Chicago Alliance and to, I was w- welcomed with so much love and so much energy. Um, they keep me propped up because I'm not knowing, I'm not only fighting now for my son. I'm fighting for somebody else's loved ones, their sons or their daughters. So that keeps me going. Um, right now, um, I'm fighting um, T-cell cancer, lymphoma. Um, I, I planned, I promised him that I would stay here and fight until he gets home. Um, he always say, no, you're going to stay forever. I'm like, I don't know, whatever the, whatever the master says. I say, but I'm hoping that he lets me stay to keep fighting until you walk out them doors. So um, I have a group of wonderful, wonderful mothers. Um, if, if I don't fight, then who will? Um, I was spending money on all these attorneys thinking um, the justice system, the justice system is just for us. It doesn't protect us. It protects them. So I have to fight. Now that I know that I have resources, I never knew I had resources before. If I had had, knew I had all these resources, we could have been fighting a long, a long time ago. Now it's 20 years has went by. He's 40 years old now. His whole life has passed him by. So I have to keep fighting. I, I fight when I don't want to fight because I have to. Like I get up to go to work and I don't I don't want to, but I know I have to do it because nobody else is going to do it for me. I love you. I love all of you mothers uh, on this panel. And it's still a fight. And we got to keep doing what we can do. Before I pass this over to Alice, I just want to acknowledge Anjanette, and this is our way of communicating. You know, this is a sister that is hurting too. And just watching little mothers and their fight, my echo to those brothers that's still locked up and the ones out here. None of us would be anywhere if we didn't have our mothers. So at least God has blessed me with the opportunity for 11 years plus other than last year. I always try to acknowledge the mothers because I realize who was on the battlefield for me. So I'm going to pass this over to Alice. But once again, I love you all. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. I want to ask the moms to talk about um, a very specific thing that you all have been doing for one another over all of these years, um, and that's courtroom support, right? I think that when um, I first got active many years ago, that was the one tangible thing I feel like we we all felt like we could do, right, is show up in court for one another. And it's such a frustrating experience. Um, I think Armanda talked about it, um, how she would go to court, we'd all show up. And then in two minutes, right, it's continued until the next time, right, the wheels of justice. I mean, that's how I learned firsthand how slowly those so-called wheels of justice um, turn. Um, here is a shot of. Um, Amanda at the courthouse, right? Free Gerald Reed, 
right? And there were so many times where um, folks, activists, and all the moms showed up for Armanda. And I know that there's a network. So when one when one person has a court date, you all get in touch with each other and you show up as much as possible um, to these court dates. So I want to ask you um, about that. And I'm so moved by what um, um, Mama Regina said um, about being inspired by um, Armanda Shackleford to also speak up and uh, become part of the organizing. Um, and I think that that's what's happened all along. I remember Luva Bell, Ronald Kitchen's mom, talking about how, you know, when she first got active, um, you know, she felt she felt a lot of shame, right? It was hard to talk about, um, you know, having a son on death row. I remember Gloria Johnson uh, saying that she and um, Aaron Patterson's mom, they used to work in the same AT&T building for many, many years, and they would go out for smoke breaks together. So they saw each other. And it wasn't until the mom started organizing together that they both realized that each one of them had sons on death row, right? So it's so important, the community that has been um, built up. So I want to ask um, the moms about courtroom support. Um, what, what, why why do you show up for one another? Why is it important to show up for, for one another? Um, what kind of messages do you think it's sending um, the judge? And what are you asking um, others um, to do um, to, to continue to support those um, inside? So I'll start with, um, start with Armanda. It would be so encouraging when I look up and see people there and... I knew that the judge didn't like that. He didn't like the support that we give each other because the statements that Judge Henley has stated, like um, um, it's, it, it, one day he stated that he wanted to split up the two cases, Gerald's case, and the Hernandez brothers, they had been having the same court date for the longest. Ever since Gerald's, right after Gerald's evidentiary hearing, they started having the court dates on the same day. So after Judge Gaynor left and Judge Hanley took over, he showed us what he thought about being fair, being concerned, being caring. He split those two cases up. And that didn't hurt us because we were still coming to each one's court day. If, if, if the Hernandez brothers was in a day, as long as I'm feeling good, I was there. And they did the same thing to support me. Rosemary's son, uh, I wasn't able to be to everyone. Regina's son, I tried to be to any one of their court dates that I could make it. But you know what? It's so nice to show support for each other because just you being there, you don't have to say anything. Just your appearance being there is so great. And the judges don't like it. And if it's a special prosecutor, he don't like it either. 
because he don't want nobody to be, he don't want the mama to be there. And I love you all. Thanks so much, Armanda. Uh, Marielle, can I take it over to you um, and ask you also, Marielle, you know, every time I'm showing up in court, <laughs> Marielle Johnson is there. So she is driving over to 26th and Cal and she continues to support all the other their moms. And it's just been so meaningful. It's, it's I feel like this is where we get to see one another um, as well. And all of the protests, the various protests that um, Marielle is is there and here here she is. Here's Marielle over at City Hall. When we were fighting for reparations, Marielle was there at City Hall. When we're going to court, Marielle um, is there. So can you talk about um, the importance of coming together and showing up for one another, um, Marielle? Yes, uh, that was something that I experienced. You know, when I went to court, I, I couldn't even get no relatives to go with me. They were so scared of me. Being this, this is not new for black people. They they knew about things that they didn't even share with us. So I had no idea how afraid they was until I got out there myself. And I knew how important it was to have someone with you because I was in court by myself, except for my son's friends, and his father was living in. He came, even though he was ill, he sat there doing the trial. It's just lonely. And I know that that support means so much. You look, just feel so good to see someone around you. That's why all those, the campaign against the death penalty and the coalition against the death penalty. So everywhere I could go to meetings, I would always tell them about being present for the people. And I tell people, you don't have to go for somebody in your family. Go see what they're doing to other people's family. That's one thing that makes us so ignorant to what goes on in the court. Till we wait till it happens to us before we go. But if you just spend some time, you'll see this is happening every day. And you won't feel alone because you see it's happening over and over. They don't expect us to stick together. So the crowds they seeing now, oh, I feel so good. I wish I could get these old legs so I could walk out there with them young people because they doing what I've been trying to get for a long time. When I went visiting on death row, it wasn't no easy walk going from cell to cell, but it was needed. It was necessary. So that's where it is. When you have people in your corner, people respect you. When you out there by yourself, they figure if nobody with you, that probably nobody cares. So I, I just love it. And I tell them, keep it up. You don't have to know the people that well. Go with them. We shouldn't be ashamed to tell people we hurting, but that's what happened. We be so ashamed. We don't want nobody to know about it. We don't want our sister to know. We don't want our cousin to know. I told them, I say, it's one thing about the life of Jesus. Everybody he had helped stood around, but Mary was there crying. So I say they he, they could depend on that. If ain't nobody there but the mother, you have somebody there. But if you got a love in your heart, you can feel for that mother and you can be there to cry with her. It's just important. That's all I can say. 
Dr. King said that. Let me tell you, Dr. King said that when he came here. He said that's one thing about the young people. They might be headed in the wrong direction, but they had something that the older ones didn't have. At least they was together. That's why they call them gang bangers. They was banging with somebody. <laughs> so that's what I think is wonderful. When they see them crowds coming in, that that means a whole lot. And them young people feel better too when they own trial and they look out there and see us sitting in the audience, you know. So that's that's it. That's the key. Stick together. That's right. Thanks so much, Marielle. Thanks for that. I want to kick it over to um, Carolyn Johnson now. Um, you know, Carolyn Johnson earlier talked about um, how Bertha Escamilla uh, called her up, and that's when she she first got involved. And Marcus Wiggins, her son, was telling her, "You got to make a big sign." And so here she is with that big sign that she made <laughs> of Marcus, along with Daryl Cannon. And here uh, is Carolyn with um, Bertha Escamilla, um, who mm-hmm. has who's always calling everybody right to you know get mm-hmm. people moving and get people to to show up for for one another. So Carolyn, mm-hmm. I want to ask you a little bit about um, you know Marcus has been home, and we know that it's a journey, right? And that people continue to need support. I mean, Marcus was tortured when he was. 13 years old. I think mm-hmm. that he had mentioned that he's he's in Texas right now visiting um, visiting some some family, right? But can you tell us what kind of support do we need to continue to show um, our loved ones um, after they get out? It's important to show that um, that you're still here fighting with him and uh, for him and fighting for others because he's uh, still re- willing to fight for others. He um, after learning what he went through, which he knew what he was going through before I knew and put the papers together and kept reading and reading. And cause he still has drop trauma. He, uh, he wakes up and sweats. My daughter, uh, my daughter told me how he wakes up and he wake up crying. And he woke up one time and, 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 and trauma and saying that, uh, he wanted his mom. So Talitha, his sister called and said, mama Marcus needs you. So I got in my car and I drove out. But the love that Mark Clemens and all of you all reaching out and, and it takes a village to raise and to help because I felt alone for a long time. And that was because I was afraid because I, I didn't I, I wasn't afraid to. Uh, I was afraid for my family after the way they was threatening, kept going to my mom's house threatening her and my brother. My brother wind up dying of cancer. And my mother, we moved her out of the city, out of the state. And so just being there with him and for him and to help him get through it. But now that he has a job and he is really, really, he is overwhelmed. He, he loves that he has a job because that helps him in the counseling that he's getting <clears throat> with the psychiatrist and the counselor. So he's doing He's doing much better now that he has a job because that's something that he's looking forward to. He get up to go to work. He he is so happy and it's good. And Mark stay in touch with him and his attorney. And uh, I call him on a regular basis. And um, I don't tell people where he at. He We don't tell people where he at because, you know, the officer's still out there, you know. And, um, and, and like uh, fighting together, us mothers going to court, being together. 
I was always going to court, being together. I was getting tickets. I got tired of getting all them darn tickets and had to pay for them. Didn't have nowhere to park, but I didn't even care about the tickets at first. All I wanted to do was get in that courtroom and show my presence to fight for the other parents of the other uh, kids and the and with their mother and their their family members, showing that somebody else do care. And that makes a difference when when I saw a lot of people out there when Marcus was going to court, and I felt blessed. I felt so blessed that I, it was, I was enjoying getting up, going to fight, because my mama raised a fighter, and I fight to the end. I mean, when I know it's right, I'm going to fight. When you know it's right, you fight for what's right, and you're going to win, especially when you believe in God. I didn't believe. I didn't know God. So at the time when it happened, I, I didn't know what to do, but I learned him in this struggle. And like I said, when I hit rock bottom, that was God getting my attention. Because a lot of times he was showing me stuff and I wouldn't pay attention. But when this went to Marcus, it got me to know who God is. It got me to start forgiving people. I, w- I was doing so much stuff because of what happened to Marcus. Those detectives made me so angry that I was having them nightmares about him. I kept, every time I get up, I started fussing at people, everybody. I was mean and grumpy. I kept my family away because of after learning that they did this to you. And then when they did that to Sean and them, and I got the paperwork and I read it and I said, oh my God, if they can set your child up like that, Marcus wasn't the child that was out in the streets. And you don't have to be, you can be an innocent person. And these people will come and just mess with you because you're black, because they are racist. And that's how they've been getting along with this for so long and covering it up because of who they are, their badge. And I feel the gangbangers are the gang, uh, they're, the police are the gangbangers. They don't want to hold the, the uh, silence, the, the code of silence. And then they get mad when the gang bangers don't want to tell on nobody else. But then why yes. tell y'all? Why tell yes. y'all what y'all are going to do is go kill them and get away with them or go lock them up and get yes. away with them. So I feel that they are above the law, but God got a plan and he showed it to me. And it's going to come to pass. And so Alice, just for listening to you guys and learning you, I learned you, I saw, met you at PUSH one time and at um, the um, uh, Alliance meeting. You know, just going to those meetings is a lot. It meant a lot to me and it taught me a lot. It even taught my baby. My baby was three, four, five years old and she said she was tired of protesting. Her feet was hurt. She said, please take me next door, mama. She said, I'm tired of protesting. I'm tired of holding up pictures. My brother still ain't at home. And Bertha fell out. I died laughing, but I ain't never know that a three-year-old child could say something like that and know what was going on. And so I had to take her next door because she said her feet was hurting because she was tired of protesting for her, her brother that ain't made it home yet. But God has showed me the path and he showed me the light at the end of the tunnel. The only thing he wanted me to do, he said, peace be still. He said, when you give it to me, stop taking it back because I kept giving it to him and then I take it back. So I stopped. And when I stopped taking it back, everything started moving. Everything. Black Lives Matter. Everything. Everything. Girl, every, uh, uh, that baby. Girl, come home. My baby came home. It's so many. And, it, and, and then when other people start seeing what they, what they did to Sean and how they did Marcus, which I saw it, but it was hard for me to get it out there because as some people say, I was aggressive and I maybe was being aggressive because I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to talk. I didn't know how to speak. I didn't know what to say was right and what to say wrong. And it's not the alderman's fault because it is it's, it's the system, because even though they were trying to fight for us, 
They couldn't get nowhere because the system was so tore up that you got to dig deeper in order to get it right. Because I thought what nobody didn't care. I thought that nobody cared about us. I thought didn't nobody, couldn't nobody do nothing because everybody was scared, which everybody was scared. But like a lot of people say, you got to get through the root. You got to get down and dig up the root to get this right because the system is so messed up. And I didn't understand it. And I didn't know no better. I didn't know no better at all. And like I said a long time ago, everything that I've said that was hurtful, that wasn't of God, I apologize to anybody that I felt that I felt that threatened them or felt threatened too because of the way I was talking. But my mind was gone. I was trying to save my insanity and getting counsel did it. I was wanted to go to the torture center, but I started going to the hospital and, and started getting it. But I would love to start going to the torture center to help build it and to help get it because all you mothers, all the mothers, daughters, sisters, all y'all don't know that you don't, the ones that don't know, if you in this, you need counseling. You need counseling because if you don't get it, I can speak for me. I went through H-E-L-L and back. I was diagnosed with lupus. I was diagnosed with lupus, cancer. I couldn't have, I couldn't talk at times. I lost my breath. I was having heart pains. And it was stressing because I'm living around all these people that's supposed to be protecting us, supposed to be saving us. And all the time I was running to the wrong people. And it was hurting and it was killing me. But God kept me and he helped me to stand and helped me to fight. And not just for Marcus, but for other mothers. So I, I loved going to court supporting and I felt darn good. And now I feel even better because the fight is long and I know it's still a long fight. But we, from where I came from a long time ago, when he was not in 91, we've gotten a long way. So I know it is a God. And I know you us mothers, all you mothers, we going to see, we going to get justice. It just take time. Don't give up because I didn't give up and I'm still standing here. I was in the, uh, 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 the, the crate, what you call them? I, I keep saying the fifth floor. But I, my mentally, I was, I was going there. I had got there, but God saved me and he kept me. And I'm still here ready to fight and I'm going to keep on fighting. And so mothers, don't give up. We got to keep fighting for our kids and our loved ones and others. Thanks so much, Carolyn. We're so grateful that you're still here with us and that you're still fighting. Okay, you you talked about um, the Chicago Torture Justice Center and needing support um, for the trauma that you've experienced. Um, and I know that the Chicago Torture Justice Center has been a, a place for when our when our loved ones come home, right? Going having the Chicago Torture Justice Center and having Mark and others, um, you know, leading the way. Greg Banks is on the Zoom with us. Leading the way at the Chicago Torture Justice Center has been so critical. So, um, Regina, you sent me this photo, and I think this is um, yeah. at the Chicago Torture Justice Center. Can you no. see it? Were, no, it's not there? No, we were at a restaurant. <laughs> Mark right. took us All out right. for Mother's Day. <laughs> okay. Well, I thought that this was, I thought you said that it was at the Chicago Torture Justice Center. Regardless, I wanted to ask you about the role that CTJC um, has played in building community for you um, and and the other mothers. Um, so if you could say a word about that. I used to go to court by myself. It started off, you know, with, you know, other family members and a few friends. And as time kept going on, everybody started dwelling off. So until it was just me. 
when I got involved with the um, the Alliance and the Justice Center, tomorrow I had a court date. It was three rows of people there. That had never happened in the, never. So when he called, when the judge, George Joyce called his name, everybody stood up and then Ted and I went in, in the courtroom and he was like, I said, um, Tamon Russell, what they standing up for? The, the bailiff said they are for Tamon Russell. He was like, oh, well, if I had knew all these people was going to be here, um, I would have waited to um, sign his papers. I'm looking, oh, so it does make a difference mm. when you, when they see a lot of people there. So they, they, they do see, oh, the heat. now he has some people back, you know, backing him. So he started being a little nicer whatever that means. <laughs> so, yeah, I, un- I understood that then it, it takes more people to be there for them to pay attention. I didn't realize that they really paid attention until that day. There's who's, who's out there. So uh, just their, their moral support, that's, that's mental, moral. They give us everything that we need to keep us pushed up because without people in the back holding you up, you would, you would, you would lose it. So I understand what Carolyn is talking about because I was there. I was there. I was just so angry and mad at the system, at people, period, because you think you're doing the right thing and they take that away from you. I'm doing the right thing, but they're doing the, they're doing the wrong thing. They think for the right reasons, but it's all wrong. So I finally got a group of people that understood where I was going and where I'm, what I need, and they're there for me. And we're going to keep on fighting for it's a lot more coming, but that's okay. Gerald kicked the dough in. That's all we needed. Gerald done kicked that damn dough in. Now they all coming through. They all coming through now. <laughs> that's right. Thanks so much, Regina. I see that Mark Clemens put in the chat that y'all were at the White Palace, which was um, the Cape Crusader uh, for justice, our um our Darby Tillis, um, the late Darby, the late and great Darby Tillis. And it was, that was his organizing space. So you all were at another organizing space um, that met, was introduced to many of us um, through um, Darby Tillis. Um, Okay. So I want to then take it over to um, Rosemary Cade. Last Friday, you were out protesting. We are still facing, you know, a lockdown in Illinois prisons, right? And our yeah. loved ones inside have been facing just, uh, you know, they have endured, right? It's been so hard this last year. This last year has been so hard for, for all of us really around the globe. Um, but we know that in our prisons, um, people are just facing um, the worst. Um, so you were out protesting. Can you say a word about what's happening, what the conditions are like? Um, inside our prisons, why you were um, uh, protesting um, uh, at the uh, and demanding uh, contact visits, um, and what else we can do to support people as we still continue to make our way um, past this um, pandemic. When we was out last Friday, we was protesting to Governor Priska to um, demand him to change the the system of the uh of the prison because those guys the medical uh you know my son had blood clots in his lungs and when i was visiting him his ankles kept swelling and i told him i said that's not good something's wrong and he said that he was given 
some type of water pill to take. And he kept telling them that it's not working. It's swelling him up. So and then he got blood clots and they rushed him over to St. Joe and uh, they found out he had blood clots in his lungs. So now he's taking this medication to keep the blood clots away. And that's why we was protesting for the medical condition, uh, them being on lockdown so long, not getting enough air, fresh air or going out. They on, they locked down 23 hours a day and they only come out what to go, maybe to go outside. And then they leave them out there. If it's raining, snow or sleet, it doesn't matter. They out there in that bad weather. And then the heating situation there, they don't get the proper heat or in the winter, summertime, it's so hot up in there that those guys are sweating, literally getting sick and stuff. So that's what we want for the guys that's in prison, some kind of release to um, help with the situation, with the lockdown, uh, with the medical condition or contact visit, all that. I haven't seen my son over a year now, a year and some months. And and now they got some visit, but you can't, you can't, you can't touch. Or you can't give them no food or anything. It just got some kind of glass up there or some kind of uh, plexiglass, I think, that you can't you can't barely hear them. I haven't been down there, but I set up busy and it's hard to get busy because people are trying to get, you know, get in and get busy. And then you got to bring all this documentation and stuff and you already in the system. Why, why is we doing all this? So that's why I say the prison needs to be reformed. Thanks so much, Rosemary. All right, Mark, what's next for us? Well, you know, one thing I will say is from the prisons to the streets, we have seen Marielle in both rooms. We have seen Marielle walking those galleries and talking to those guys and just trying to bring encouragement inside of a zone where that there's little to no encouragement. Explain, Marielle, briefly an uh, encounter you have had with maybe inmates while visiting them on death row. You know, I got to, I started visiting them because I didn't know what to do with myself. I was in so much pain over my son till I just said, what can I do? And when I went and found out, they were so glad to see me because most of the people on the coalition are not people of color. I was, I was a rare one. We had another black lady going, but she would only go to Pontiac. But I went to Pontiac and Menard. And those guys were so glad to see me till I went that first time. And then I couldn't stop because I, I, I found out that I played an important role with them. They felt comfortable with me. Actually, they say, we don't, we just be nice to them. People on the coalition say, but we don't even be bothered with no more white folks say, that's who put us here. The judge was white. The prosecutor was white. Defense attorneys, white, so they was just glad to see me. So I felt obligated to keep going. It was not easy. You deal with different personalities, and I would respect the fact that when I was visiting them in those cells, 
that was their house and I respected it. Sometimes they would be asleep. They didn't want to talk. I wouldn't try to talk to them anyway. I wouldn't go there trying to tell them what to do. I just made them feel comfortable. I had some of them that I'd visit. I'd go to their cell. They'd be ready for me. So we'd sing a song together. They would tell me, oh, they had me going to different neighborhoods that I had never been in to tell this girl to bring his baby to see him. And I'd go and talk to the mothers. So many of them would tell me different things. Well, my mother, the reason why she don't come is because she, she getting old now. And I wanted to say to them, what did you think I'm getting? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm already old. <laughs> so I convinced their parents to come, people that didn't want to go because they felt they couldn't do nothing. I say, you do something when you see them, just it inspires them to know that you love them. So I would encourage them to go. And then I would go to their church and talk to the congregation. I said, we shouldn't be sitting in church ashamed to tell them that our child is in jail. But so many people, that's what they shame of it. And I was shamed too. I was keeping mine quiet too. When I realized what was really happening, I didn't get out and broadcast that my son was in jail, but I told him, it ain't wrong to love nobody. If they did it, you don't have to condone what they did, but you sure don't have to stop loving them because they're yours. So it just, it's an experience that I wouldn't, I wouldn't give that up for nothing because I learned so much. And say, how do you talk to an inmate when you go to visit them in jail at they sell like a person, because that's what it is. <laughs> it's another human being. Many of them in there didn't do anything. They in there because of who they was born as, a black man. And that's so sad. But once we come together, I told them, I said, look, you got to turn this thing around. We got to use something on them that they're not ready for. Anything you plan to do, they they already prepared to deal with it. I said, but you got one thing. They can't handle when you come with God in you. That's love. They don't know what to do when you love them in spite of themselves. And before we stopped visiting like we were, we had some of those sergeants coming out there and holding hands with us while we prayed. It was getting just that good. And a lot of them would come up to me when I would go out there, they say, keep the good work up. You're doing a good job. <laughs> they were encouraging when they saw that we cared about them and those guys start getting along with each other. And whenever I'd come on the gallery, they would tell them, Ma Johnson's in the house. Whatever they was cussing and going on, they'd stop it. And those coalition members, they saw how much respect those guys had for me. So one time they had made the rules where they wasn't going to let anyone who had any family member come in the penitentiary like that. I got the letter now. They wrote a special letter for me to let me come on and visit in spite of the fact that I had a son who was in there. That's something they didn't do. But they opened that door for me. And I didn't miss. You know, you was a warrior and still is. Yeah, well, I went in tough, but I was scared. (laughs) Well, the bottom line of it is, is that you went. You didn't dodge your calling. 
you no, still they, went. They, they didn't they didn't see the fear. I mean, I was afraid in the beginning because I didn't know what I was gonna run into. I had never been in jail or anything. But when you bet you face people with love, they they have to back up off you. That's for yes. Sure. yes. And Amanda, I want to ask you quickly what makes you smile today? Well, I have a smile on my face because, first of all, I'm here with all of you, all of you mothers that has been struggling for years. And I'm also smiling because my son, Gerald Reed, is home. And But the fight is still on. It's not over because they, he's still guilty as far as they are concerned. Now, the fight is we got to be able to prove that he's not guilty. But I just love you all so much. The the encouragement that you all have given me and the hope that you all have given me. I can't give up. I can't give up because we don't come too far. And we came this far together. We are not alone. And that, that makes you feel so good. And that, that just can't do nothing but put a smile on my face. I just love you, Mark. You are such a sweetheart. And one day God is going to have something for you. Sure. He got well, something for you. I think if I never see anything else in this life, He's already blessed me already with having the opportunity to be in y'all mess. You know, it's not like uh, I did not have to go through a journey. I had to go through a mighty journey in this life. And the bottom line of it is I'm just happy to be amongst you. And like I tell people all the time, I can't be someone else but i can be myself and i may not make everyone smile but i will do my best to be fair and that's all that i can do as a human being but I, one thing i do know is that the criminal justice system is very very racist these people don't care i watch my mother like most of these men watch their mothers and they were young women and they watched them as they aged, as vice versa. The mothers watched their children as they aged behind these messed up prison walls. And then you have to come back to this society and deal with stuff that is set up in layers to make sure that you fail. And Moving right along, Carolyn, that same question, what makes you smile? First of all, I smile because, and what makes me smile is that I wake up, God give me the breath to breathe another day and to help my kids and to help others. And that I'm still here and especially smiling because the sheet is pulled off of them and they've been exposed. And it's time that their this system, the racist system and the systematic system is going to come to an end. 
I didn't think I would live to see the day that it would, but God blessed me and have me the honor to sit here this day on this panel with you guys to continue this fight and to continue to help because I had got sick and all out my brains till I had stopped coming around, you know, but God, I still got that fighting energy in me and I'm going to keep fighting and helping fight this fight until the Lord take the breath out of my mouth. And to see my son get his certificate of actual innocence and yours, Gerald Reed, and everybody else's that we're fighting for. You know, I'm going to give a quick shout out to Aislinn and Cindy, who are the co-directors over at the Chicago Torture Justice Center. I want to send a shout out to Brother Greg, Brother Jermon, and uh, to Brother Carl, as well as Brother Damon and the whole little crew over at the Chicago Torture Justice Center. I know that a lot of you don't understand the work that we do, but it's very stressful. It's very uh, complex to, to describe it, but we are here, we're fighting, and we're doing our best, believe it or not. Regina, Regina, I would hate to run into you in a dark alley, woman. Uh, what makes you smile, Regina? That I know that I have another day to fight for him and to fight for everybody else's child. That's what makes me smile. Quick, brief, but to the point. <laughs> uh, Rosemary, what makes you smile? And this- What makes me smile is you guys. You all is fighting for us. You get out there, Mark, you get you do it all. You get out there cold. It'd be cold. I, I have seen you out there standing in the middle of the street by yourself fighting for us, for our sons. And that's what makes me smile, that someone else's care. Someone else care about our sons, our kids. And that's the whole point of it. And that's why we need you. So we want you to get plenty of rest because we still got to fight. We still got a long way to go. Well, before I turn it over to Alice for Q&A, I just want you all to know, I already know what you're going through. And I often tell you that all the time. The bottom line of it is, if I was the governor, hell, I'd just let them all go. I know you would. (laughs) So the thing about it is... This is a fight that we're dealing with, and I think that we can make the fight a little bit more strenuous if we stick together together. in unity. And me and Denise talked yesterday a little bit uh, about some of the things that, you know, we really need to change. And... There's all races and there's all people that are plagued with wrongful convictions. So me personally, if I had a hat on right now, I would take it off and sling it like Michael Jackson. (laughs) I'll take my hat off to each and every one of you for, man, fighting like dirty dogs, man, you know, at the right sources, which is the criminal justice system. Thank you. I pass it over to you, Alice. And Christina, I love you. I see that message. 
Thanks so much, Mark, um, for all of that. Uh, there's just so much love on this Zoom. Um, I want to, I don't think we actually have time for Q&A because we're at time right now, but I wanted to show a little bit of love to the other moms who are on this Zoom with us um, right now and just say a small acknowledgement, a word about each one of them. Um, who I see on here, Christina Borisov, we love you. We know that you're fighting for Johnny um, and that he's struggling inside and we're thinking of him and we love you. Um, Anthonette, you know, our heart goes out to you. You know, um, thank you for uh, bringing Archie into our lives and letting us know him um, and his love um, through you. We love you. Esther, we know that... Uh, Torture did not begin or end with John Burge, and you have been one of the moms who have been fighting um, against uh, Guevara um, and with all of the other moms and for your sons, um, you know, and in the early days of the Comité Exegimos Justicia, you know, we love you and we're so, so proud um, of all, all that you have been doing. Bertha, here you are, another another um, mom from the early days of the Comité Exegimos Justicia. Um, we love you. Um, thank you for always being there. You know, even after your son got out, you have been right there with us, right at center of the of this movement. Um, Denise, what an awesome photo! <laughs> Isn't that awesome, uh, Denise? Um, is fighting for her son, Matthew Echevera, and actually has, um, uh, she and her family have been organizing protests um, for Matthew, and they have actually turned these protests for Matthew into protests to free them all. If Denise, if you could please share the information for the protest that's coming up uh, next weekend in the chat with everyone, that would be amazing. And, um, and we have Gregory Banks here with us. And actually, Gregory, I think I might be putting you on the spot a little bit, but if you're still on the Zoom with us, I know that you um, were at a press conference last week for the Chicago Torture Justice Memorials. I wanna give a shout out to all the comrades in the Chicago Torture Justice Memorials. Um, you know, we are fighting for a memorial, the permanent memorial that was part yes. of the reparations package. Right. And um, we are still fighting to get an agreement from the city and from our mayor to build this memorial. We have a beautiful structure um, that was designed by Patricia Wynn um, and John Lee and uh, the survivors have been fighting for this. Um, so maybe, Greg, you can have the last word um, because our next event on Wednesday is about the memorial. Um, and so, Greg, I just want to invite you to have the last word. Um, about this, the importance of the memorial. Yes. Uh, well, just let me say this to uh, happy belated Mother's Day. Uh, wait, 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 wait. And Thank you. yeah, happy belated Mother's Day. And I just want to say to y'all, uh, man, y'all been in this fight. Y'all been behind. Y'all been with us. Y'all been on our side from the beginning. And just like Mark said, if it had not been for our mothers, Ain't no telling what would have happened. Um, and from that, I'm going to say this about the memorial. We need that memorial. That memorial will show this city that the, the, the injustices that this city has, that has uh, been a part of for many, 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 many years. And we have to show that. That, that needs to be seen and it needs to be known. 
So I say uh, to all of you, every last one of you, keep keep on fighting, keep on fighting, because the fight ain't never go. It's, it's 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 still here. So thank you. Thanks so much, Greg, for that, um, Alice. Yes. Uh, this is Amanda. Yeah. Uh, I just want to mention Jeanette Plummer. Yes. She's not able to get around anymore. I just wanted to meet her also. Thank you. Another one of the Bulldogs. Yes, I miss her. And Alice, maybe we could take a question or two from the audience. Uh, can someone shoot through a question and I'll bring it to the panel? Um, I also want to invite at this time then, um, you know, the other moms who are on this Zoom with us, if you want to say a quick word, this is the time to do it. Come on, Esther. <laughs> Why did I know you were going to choose me, Mark Clement? Because <laughs> so, I can see your sandy, nice gold hair. <laughs> oh, yes. So, um, First of all, thank you all. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. Uh, belated Mother's Day. Also, uh, thank you for the delicious food that you guys sent over. The dinner was so good. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. When you talk about why was it important to be in the courtrooms, I believe that's very important to support each other at the courtrooms. I remember once I went to one of the guys, one of the Guevara's uh, victims' court, and the judge. He, when he saw the crowd, he got up and he said, uh, wow, are you all here for the same person? And yeah, because everybody else had the court already been called and we were there and he was actually surprised to see that. And so I believe that, yes, it's very important. That's why I try to support, you know, whenever I can, I try to support, be there at court and, um, it's very important to be out there and to rally for this innocent man in there. You know, I have my two sons in there. Um, I'm kind of heartbroken right now. I mean, if you don't mind, but um, we're doing a clemency for my sons because one of my sons, I will send though, he has a heart disease. Well, he had two strokes, two heart attacks, actually. The first one we never knew about, it was a Menards. And when this, in 2016, he had his second addiction when they took him to the hospital and they did the test. The doctor said, did you know you had a heart attack like five years ago? And my son said, well, I had the pain. They took me in a wheelchair. I could move my arm. My chest was hurting. Uh, I was up all night standing on the, holding to the bars because I couldn't lay down with the pain. And they they did an EKG and they said that it was normal. And then they said that he had an anxiety attack, not a heart attack, right? So that messed up my son's, uh, there was a part of his heart is actually dead. And then they could not, they had a stance in his heart, two of them, because they could not go into open up that one, right? That already that was clocked, they couldn't open it. So my son asked him, well, so what is going to happen? They go, well, we're just, we're just going to keep continue to, you know, Look at it. We're going to treat you and see, you know, but there's nothing that we could do. But, you know, by the grace of God, I I believe in God and I have faith. And um, when my son told me that, uh, that the doctor said it must have been a miracle because a vein grew around your heart. And that's how your blood is pumping to your heart. 
And I said, oh, my God, thank you, God, you know. And so, you know, he's been going to treatments like every year, whatever. But little did I know when we just put this clemency in about in the 24th of this month. Now I got a new uh, lawyer, which is Josh Taffer, because uh, Tara was my son's lawyer. She's no longer with us. And so he said, uh, I said, oh, he called my son. And then my son told me about it. And so I texted the lawyer and I said, oh, so you guys had a nice um, legal call. He said, yeah, what, what did he tell you? And I said, well, yeah, that is looking good. And he talked about his uh, health issue. He goes, he did. What did he tell you? Uh, because my son told him, I tell my mom everything. I said, yeah, he t- they tell me everything, you know. But he goes, oh, okay, good, because I don't like to, you know. I, at first, I like to talk to the, my clients and then whatever. But when he said, I'm going to send you a copy of the clemency, yeah, he sent it to me. And when I started reading, I read it, and I think it was God that I skipped part of it. You know, he said that, yeah, his condition, he will get the the coronavirus, he could die, or even without the coronavirus because he's got this disease, his heart, you know? And so, and I didn't see nothing else. But then my daughter came in and my, son, my other son called and she was reading it to him. And then when she go to the part where he says, this is so serious that he might have no more than three years or five of life. So I was like, what? You know, I was in shock. I said, how could this? Be, you know, and so um, I text the lawyer and I said, I'm in shock because I really didn't realize this. I, didn't, I guess my, my son didn't even know all that because when I'm reading the report, the, the doctor is saying, I'm sorry that you will have to be the ones to let the patient know, you know, this is a sad thing. But then again, because this is from before, and like I said, I believe God healed them and I still believe that. Um, I, you know, I've been strong because I feel that, you know, he's healed. But to read something like that on paper, you know, it breaks your heart. And then you're like, and why are they still in there? You know, they're innocent. Why is King Fox still fighting this case? Why is she defending this corrupt cop? You know, why are children are in there? So, you know, I just had to share that with you because, uh, you know, it just broke me. To hear that and you know I talk to my son every day and he sounds good and everything that's why I believe you know and I don't want to doubt God that he is healed but the negligence of these people what they have done to our loved ones in there because of that if they would have figured out that he did have a heart attack and they would have put him on treatment taking the medication right cholesterol whatever maybe he would be you know he didn't have to have a second heart attack and then his heart damaged part of his heart is there, you know? So I just needed to share that because I do want to, this is what makes me like fight even more. And I am going to keep fighting, not only for my sons, I will continue to fight for all of them. But now I'm on the road to do something, you know? I want to I do something. I want to reach out to the governor. I want to, you know, I'm going to actually, uh, I talked to Christy from the Alliance and uh, I didn't tell her the whole story. She don't even know about this This is before because I told her they did the clemency and she said, we could do like we did with Joe Reed, you know, we could start doing a, a schedule to call, you know, and email the governor. So that's my next step. That's what I want to do next. But thank you. Sorry I took so much time. No, 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 no problem. But, 
One thing I do want to do, and this program won't be complete unless we do do this, Galaxy S10 lady over here. Uh, <laughs> and I call her uh, Anjanette, but, you know, I know her name is something totally different. And one day before I croak, maybe I'll get her name right. But, you know, I know that she has had to endure another form of torture, and that is losing a child to police violence. And I would just like to just ask her what really makes her smile and to explain just the tip of what happened to Archie. Thank you. Hello, yes. everyone. My name is Antoinette. And yes, thank you for the food. Thank you for inviting me on this platform. Uh, to all the mothers, uh, I am just so happy that you all still have your children. And Ms. Shackleford, you, I was watching Mark's uh, Facebook Live when you embraced your son. And it just brought so many tears up in my soul because I was so overjoyed and happy that you had a chance to hug your baby after 40 years. And it was indeed a blessing. I felt your joy. My son, nine years ago, he was killed in Calumet City by a Calumet City police officer. And I was served in justice. I went to the depositions and I didn't get any legal justification for anything. The police officer got off. He didn't do any time in jail. They didn't take his badge away from him. It's like my son's life didn't even matter. And it was like when I needed the help, you know, through the legal process, I trusted the lawyer, the justice system to help me. But I don't think they helped me. I think what they did is just shove my baby's case up under the rug to get it out of the eye, out of the media. So no one would know anything about it. And right to this day, no one knows who killed Archie Lee Chambers Jr. The police officer was never identified. I know who killed him because I went to the depositions for my baby. But it's just sad how the justice system is so unfair to our children, our loved ones. And it's like, and you trust them. And injustice is served every day. It's been nine years for me. And then justice is still going on. I'm at the point that I do not trust the justice system at all. I am terrified of the police. If a police officer get behind me, I just go into a panic. But I try and stay calm because I don't want to make any sudden moves or anything like that. But it's just so unfair. And it's like... I didn't get justice for my son, but I said, I don't care if I use everything that I have. I am going to participate in these organizations and I am going to help to fight to bring a change to the justice system because it's not right. I told my lawyer, I said, you know what? This problem is bigger than me. You know, and he just looked at me. And when everything just started unfolding, I was like, uh-huh, it's still coming. It's still coming. And it's like now it's like uh, one of the other mothers said they didn't uncover the Ill, uh, the justice system with the uh, they took the sheet off of it. So now everybody sees all the injustice, but still they're not holding these police officers accountable for anything. And it's not fair. It's not fair at all. Well, I just want you to know that we love you, send you strength and love and patience. 
And lastly, and then I'm gonna turn it over to Alice for these I do want to hear this woman who calls herself D Nice dealing with her struggle with her son Matthew. Well, hi everybody. Hi, mamas. So I like every one of you <laughs> uh walk the the streets of shame, not thinking I was alone. You know, thinking that uh you know when you say you have a child in prison, that, that shame that came with it and the way people looked at you and rolled their eyes, the judgment, you know, I didn't know that you guys were out there until about, and I got to say this till about maybe four years ago and the name Bertha Escamilla came up and somebody said, you need to call Bertha. And so I did, but for a long time, you know, I sat in the darkness like, like you ladies did, you know, and, and thought that I was alone. My son's name is Matthew Echeverria. He, he of course, is caught up in the racist uh, judicial system of um, Central and Grand, you know, being a brown baby. I couldn't do it without you mamas. I couldn't do it without you, Mark and, and Kim. And, I mean, all of you. I, uh, it's a hard road. It's a road that, you know, I, I wouldn't wish on anybody. But you really made our, my Mother's Day. I felt so loved and welcomed. Thank you. And I love all of you. So I'll turn it over to Alice. I, I know that um, Christina Borisov is still on. We have a few more minutes left. So Christina, can you please say a word too? And Denise, oh man, I just feel like those protests that you organize on Harlem and Grand, amazing, right? The billboard that you have up for Matthew, um, amazing. And we hope that you know Matthew will be home with us Okay. Hi, uh, I'm Christina Borzov, Johnny Borzov's mom. Denise, I feel your pain and all the other mamas. When my son was incarcerated, I felt embarrassed and people would talk and all that. And I knew my son is wrongfully convicted and we used all our resources that we had, but eventually you know, the prosecutors and uh, my, my son was convicted in DuPage County. It was all on hearsay. It was fabrication and political repression. And so my son is uh, at Statesville, originally at Menards, and he has over 16 underlying conditions and he's severely ill. The only thing that's keeping them going is God. I have hit bottom where I didn't want to live. I am in counseling. So I, I think counseling helps somewhat. But yesterday on Mother's Day, it doesn't get easier. Like I, my heart was torn and uh, our whole family, our lives are not the same anymore. And I hope and pray for all of our loved ones that they start coming out. My son' lifespan doesn't look good. The only thing that I hold on to is God. Uh, he is on uh, kidney. He's on dialysis, kidney failure five, and um, he's had a heart attack. He's had. Um, Comas, he's hurt himself. Now he's in a wheelchair. He can't walk this long distance. And, you know, all I can do is pray. And I thank 
each and every one of you and this organization, what Mark does, Alice, and everybody else that's connected. Because to win the fight, we have to stand together. And um, I pray that they all come home so we can hug them. And I thank you for inviting me. And God bless each and every one of you. We are all fighters. And I think, you know, this whole Zoom is a, is a testament to that. Um, each and every one of the moms, um, the survivors who are on the Zoom, you know, fighters, right? And I, I just, I feel so moved by the community um, that's represented on this call and the will to fight. Um, and I think the understanding of the, the pain that runs throughout but then at the same time to come together because we don't want anyone who is experiencing pain to feel alone, right? And I think that that's something that many of the moms have said and so many of the survivors have said um, what was harder than the injustice itself, right, was feeling alone in it all, right? And so I think that the more that we can build community, that is what is going to help us get through this. And I think hopefully, ultimately, um, you know, win more victories, right? Win more victories. Sometimes it can absolutely feel like one step forward, two steps back, right? Um, but I think when we're in it together, we can begin to see, like within our community and the community that's developed, you know, the, a kind of different future. This is the future that we want. <laughs> the community that's represented on on on, on this Zoom um, and the love um, that's represented on this Zoom and being there for for one another. And um, and so I, I just I feel grateful to Mark and I feel grateful to all the mamas um, on on this call. And as, as um, Bertha Escamilla said, we are all fighters and we will continue to fight. Yes. And you know, because I know Rosemary's situation, she explained it. Let's give her some energy as we close this 2021 Mother's Day celebration out. And as she head to uh, Wisconsin, in search of a kidney, let's let her know that we love you. Come on, say it. We love, love you. you. Put your mics on. We, we love, love you, Rosemary. You. We, we love, love you, Rosemary. We love you, Rosemary. We love you. 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 We love you